Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. To see you. Thank you for being here. Rabbi Chaim Seidler Feller recently celebrated his 40th year of working with students and faculty as the executive director of the Yitzchak Rabin Hillel Center for Jewish Life at UCLA, currently the director emeritus at Hillel and a senior scholar at the Shalom Harman Institute North America, was ordained in 71 by YU, where he completed a master's in rabbinic literature, has been a lecturer in the departments of sociology and Near Eastern languages and cultures at UCLA, and in the Department of Theological Studies at Loyola Marymount University, where he taught a course together with a Muslim colleague on Judaism and Islam. He's also a faculty member of the Wexner Heritage Foundation, was the founding director of the Hartman Fellowship for Campus Professionals, and a founding member of Americans for Peace Now. In 2014, he initiated a fact-finding mission for non-Jewish students, student leaders to Israel and the Palestine Authority, which is now offered on 60 campuses across the country. The International Hillel Center has granted Chaim the Hillel Professional Recognition Award for blending the love of Jewish tradition and the modern intellectual approach of the university. He was a rabbinic consultant to Barbara Streisand during the making of the film Yentl. And he's got uh, his, his uh, publications and uh, he has a number of publications. Today's event is very exciting, a virtual tool, tour of the Seidler Feather collection of objects of Jewish material culture from Alsace and Iran, from India and Italy and from the US and Israel. Items include an 18th century embroidered Italian talit, a Yemenite wedding headdress, ketubot from across the globe and contemporary Israeli silver. The tour will include a reflection on how we came to collect Judaica and the stories that, ba that background our acquisitions. Uh, this is actually relevant if you followed the Michael Steinhardt news recently and how we think about the uh, ethics of Judaica and of, and of, of artifacts. Um, and it's, uh, it's always relevant as we expand our notion of Jewish history, our notion of Jewish peoplehood, and, um, and understand also that we shouldn't only privilege books. We shouldn't only privilege books. Many people who are either not literate or are less literate than scholarship um, understand their stories through stuff. And so um, to, to be a more egalitarian network, we should understand the world and stories, not only through books, but through stuff. So with that, my, my teacher, who I was privileged to, spent two years as the senior Jewish educator for uh, under his, uh, his, he's a walking Torah, he's a walking Torah of a Chaim Sadlatov. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shmuley. Yeah, you know, you know, you're making me think about the, the, the significance of stuff. Yeah, uh, we were talking just before about abundance and sufficiency. So, so that, that, that's, that, that's a question. So one of the points that I wanna to make today is that Doreen and I are modest collectors. We, in, in many ways, uh, I sort of fell into it. We fell into it. Um, and I, I want to sort of emphasize that you don't have to be a, a major art aficionado with enormous resources to gather beautiful items that help you celebrate your, your Jewishness. Now, I want to ask, is it, does every, I, I have some feedback. Are you all, are you all, is there feedback for everybody? No, no, okay, ex excellent. Okay, all right, I'll survive. <laughs> so uh, I, I do want to, I do want to say a few introductory words about Jewish art, Jewish ritual art. And in the course of my presentation, which will involve uh, initially studying a text and then walking around uh, to tour our collection, I, I'll be able to t tell you the story of how we started collecting. Okay, so what I want to say in introducing Jewish art are the following uh, ideas. Number one, Jewish ritual art represents the triumph of Jewish culture over the adversity of history. That's always striking to me. No matter how much we suffered, and no matter how the persecution, we not only wrote books, as, as, as Shmuley said, we also designed 
items that enhance our religious experience. Right? That was that was always that was always important. When students, you know, get a sense of the what what the Selo Baron used to call the lacrimose theory of Jewish history, that Jewish history is just a veil of tears. So I always point out to them, if that's all we were doing was crying, then how do we get all this, all these books that were written over the centuries? In other words, culture, culture thrives th throughout the ages. Mostly, mostly. I, 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 maybe I'll tell you a story. So much so that when the survivors uh, uh, were, were found themselves in DP camps and they didn't have svarim, they didn't have books. Right? So the American army and the Vahatsala printed Talmud and all, and, and all basic Jewish texts for them. And, the, and in, I, I have one of the volumes that was printed in 1946 in Munich but, and, and by the American army. I have another volume with a, with a, with a page dedicated to Truman, thanking him for the fact that their books were given back to them. So in the Talmud, in the verso, in the, in the, in the page after the title page, there's a dedication. And the dedication says, the Nazis not only wanted to kill our bodies, they wanted to kill our souls. So they burned our books, and when we, and when we survived, we had no resources. And now, thank God, we've been given a lifeline. Because we once again have the sources of our tradition that, with which we can engage. So I want, so I want to tell you, this, this was always significant. No matter what our experiences, we had our books and we even designed objects, beautiful objects in the camps, in Terezin, they made Seder plates. After the war, the joint, together with survivors in the camps, produced uh, we have one of them. Uh, if I remember, I'll show it to you. Uh, a Seder plate that was produced by survivors who went literally, they went from servitude to freedom. And their expression of was in producing Seder plate for Pesach. Right? That, that's I mean, the concretization of an idea. Number one. Number two. Art and beauty are a significant part of religion, not divorced from religion. In other words, I know that the aesthetic isn't always nurtured in the intellectual tradition, but we know how important it is. And, and I think that part of the reaction also was in Christianity with the material culture and, and you know, the flesh was so significant. So Judaism reacted in a way, and we have this sense that, that we're much less committed to that form of expression. And, uh, and you see, by the way, you see, you see the tension uh, in, uh, in My Name is Asher Lev, Chaim Potok's book, the, right? Basically, it's a story of a Chabadnik who becomes an artist and, has to, and gets permission from the Rebbe and so on. It's a wonderful story. It's, I think it's his best book. And recently, there was an article in the foreword I think we're in the forward, about Haredi artists. And for a long time, there have been Haredi poets. You can't have living a living community without its artistic expression. You know who knew all this? You know who wrote about this? Mordechai Kaplan. Mordechai Kaplan uh, imagined an inclusive Judaism with a variety of expressions of, of, of Jewish of Jewish ideas, Jewish concepts. Finally, what I want to say is one of the consequences of, uh, of uh, collecting is that you basically surround yourself uh, with living Judaism. And it's, it's, it's really, it, you'll see in a moment, it's really, it's magnificent. All right, so any questions so far? If there are no questions, I'm going to share my screen. So this is a Gemara about Hidur Mitzvah, about beautifying the commandments. Right, the Gemara in, in, in Tractate Shabbat, I'll read it. Now, what is the source for the requirement, 
the crime is that uh, that a mitzvah must be performed in in an aesthetic, in the most pleasing aesthetic way. The source is, this is my God, and I will glorify God. It's a verse in the Song of the Sea. I will glorify God. As it was taught in Brighta with regard to the verse, this is my God and I will glorify him, God, uh, the, Lord, the Lord of my father, and I will raise God up. The sages interpreted homiletically as linguistically related to noi, beauty. Anvehu, you hear, you can hear it, noi, and interpreted the verse, beautify yourself before God in mitzvot. Even if one fulfills the mitzvah by performing it simply, it is nonetheless proper to perform the mitzvah as beautifully as possible. Make before God a beautiful sukkah, a beautiful lulav, a beautiful shofar, beautiful ritual fringes, beautiful parchment for a Torah scroll, and write in it, write in, it in God's name in beautiful ink with a beautiful quill and by an expert scribe and wrap the scroll in beautiful silk fabric. So there's a mitzvah to enhance, enhance your religious life, that the, that the ritual object actually has an impact on you, on your connection to God, on your connection to the world, and your awareness that the world itself is, full, is filled with beauty. But beyond that, beyond, beyond that, there's a second interpretation that I want to link to the first one even though it's introduced as an alternative. Abba Shaul says, he doesn't interpret it as having to do with beauty, with noi, should be interpreted as if it were written in two words. Ani, vahu. Anvehu, I and he, I and God, me and him. Be similar, as it were, to God, the Almighty. Just as God is compassionate and merciful, so too should you be compassionate and merciful. This is actually a very profound theological comment. I'll take a minute because what it's saying is that the very context, the Song of the Sea, which is the greatest example of God's miraculous intervention in history, becomes in, among the rabbis a source for our taking responsibility. We know that God split the sea, but God ain't going to split the sea any longer. From now on, we have to be God-like in the way we behave. We have to become God's agents, and we have to become God's partners. We represent God in the world. So I want to say that if we, be, we, become, we become God's partners in part by bringing more beauty into the world, so ritual objects is a model for how we should behave as human beings in the world. In the same way that mitzvot give us an opportunity to create beauty, because that, is an, that allows us to be devoted, it, incre it intensifies our devotion, so too should we be creating beauty all around us, beauty in our relationships, beauty in, the, in, in nature around us. So that we may, and, and beauty doesn't mean spending a lot of money, right? There's beautiful behavior also. If we understand it in those terms, we see our role in surrounding ourselves with the best possible e expression of who we are and what we can do in the world. Okay, um, this, is, this is basically my introduction. And now I'm going to switch to my phone and, and, and we'll walk around. And hopefully, we'll, you'll be able to see a selection of what, of what we have. Okay, so let me close my screen. All right, my friends. So now we're going to take a little journey. So first of all, uh, aside from the, my busy desk, so this is, this is my library. You know, so when I say surrounded, you know, I thank God that I, have, that I had this opportunity. Um, and, 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 I have the, and I have these resources. It's a gift. It's a great gift. So let me sh let me give you a a, a a a broad scheme of what there is. So this is one room, and you see 
objects. We'll, we'll hopefully get a chance to look at them, the ktubot, in the corners, the, the, the hanging lamps, etc., the the plates on the wall, so on. Surrounded indeed. And this is our, our den. That's the talus that we're going to comment. Here are some books. I don't know that we're going to have a chance because in addition to ritual objects, I also have uh, old old Jewish uh, printed books from the 16th century, um, very, and some really interesting interesting items. But we won't have time for everything. So maybe we'll continue it another time. And I'm going to start here in our living room. All right. So first, I want to I want to comment on our on our entryways. So you enter into our house, and one of the first things that you see uh, beside the door is this hanging piece. This is designed by David Moss. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in a moment. And what it what it says is Pitchuli Share Tzedek Avovam Odeya. You can see, I don't know if you can make out the writing, right? It's a gate. It's a gate with a verse, open up for us the gates of righteousness. I will enter through them and thank God. Avovam Odeya. So David Moss was a, uh, started out his career as a calligrapher of Kitubot. He single-handedly uh, re, uh, re-established uh, uh, Kituba illumination as, an, as a form, as an art form in the 70s. We had sort of abandoned it and lost it. And he, he developed that sort of expertise. And then at some point in his career, he was commissioned to, do a, to make a Haggadah. If we have a moment, I will show you a facsimile of the manuscript that he created. It most probably is the most, uh, it, it, it is the most beautiful or creative Jewish manuscript uh, in the last 500, uh, 500 years. Uh, since printing. I mean, you know, there are not too many manuscripts that, that we make, but it's, ma- it's magnificent. Um, so, and, and, and he continues to produce um, different items. Uh, we are members of his minion, uh, which has a, an interesting uh, 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 beginning, but that's not the point. Uh, we subscribe to, uh, to uh, his productions every year. Um, every year he makes, uh, he, he's able to create a few items. We don't have any room any longer. We're donating the items at, at this point. All right, so that's the entry into the house. As you enter into the living room, um, we encounter this rug on the floor. The, this rug was made in 1930. By, in, you can see that it's a Bitzalel, Bitzalel rug, Bitzalel Yerushalayim. You see also that um, the, the theme, our menorot, the menorah, 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 everywhere there's a menorah. Right, and the 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 the, uh, the carpet is dedicated uh, Eretz Hatsvi. Hard to read the Hebrew. The land of the heart. The land of the heart, of course, is the promised land. It's it's Israel. So it's a um, the carpet of entry. The land of the heart. There's something about it that gives me a sense, that, you know, of the presence of Israel um, in our in our in our midst. Um, now I'm going to tell you how we began. Uh, we have a wall. In, in our living room with Roman Vishniak photos, book that Vishniak produced. Vishniak was a photographer who in the 30s uh, traveled through Eastern Europe with a premonition that this was a world that was going to disappear. And he uh, documented a life as it was, especially in the outlying villages and, with, um, and, and, and had a great eye for people's eyes. And with Vishniak, I had brought him out to speak at Hillel numerous times. And at one point, he asked uh, Doreen and myself, we, we used to visit him uh, in his apartment in Manhattan. He asked her to do some work for him. Um, and he said, look, I can't pay you, but when you're finished with the work, you can go to such and such a place and choose some items. So I had been, I was struck when we visited Vishniak uh, by the amulets that he had in his collection. He had silver amulets. And for me, I was a yeshiva bacher. We didn't know that Jews made amulets. We actually, we didn't know that. I mean, what kind of magic? We don't do that sort of stuff, right? So, um, so I, you know, he, he said, go to this such and such a place. So the place he sent us to uh, was actually Moriah Gallery. It was at that time, the leading Judaica gallery, maybe the only one at that time. It was on 47th Street in Manhattan. And uh, I found some, not silver amulets, but, um, parchment amulets, 
um, that were fascinating to me. Um, and that was the beginning of our collection, really Vishniak sent us, and we were introduced to, to Peter Ehrenthal, the silversmith who had founded this gallery. And that opened up a world for us that we, did, that we really were not familiar with. And then it, then it grew from there. I'm gonna show you, uh, you know, some, uh, we, uh, the amulets that I bought at that time, I think are in New York, but I'll show you some amulets that we have now. They're relevant to our, to our presentation today. So this, this is the Vishniak wall of Vishniak photos. Uh, here is another item that was very, uh, that, that we, we were able to acquire at the beginning uh, of our collecting. Now, can you see it? Is it, is it visible to all? Yes, right? So, so this is a shiviti, right? This piece we found on the floor of the synagogue uh, in Kolin, 40 kilometers east of Prague. It's the town from which um, Doreen, my wife's great grandparents, uh, and grandparents uh, came from. Um, we, 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 we were there with uh, a high school teacher who uh, was not Jewish, but every summer took his students to repair and renovate the Jewish cemetery. This was in 1980, and he had the key to the synagogue. We walked in the synagogue, the synagogue was a wreck. Holes in the roof, water on the floor, sidurim covered in, in ash the back of the synagogue being used to store communist banners. And there was this piece that was all ashen. You see that it's dark, still dark in places, although we had it cleaned. Um, and I said to myself, this is crying out to be redeemed. You know, I don't know how legal it all was, but you know, this connection that we had, um, I don't, you know, uh, uh, Shmuley mentioned Steinhardt. I'll tell you what we, we hope to do. At some point, because there have been a lot of renovations in the Czech Republic in the last 10 years, uh, we, will, we will donate this back to the Czech Republic because we know that it can be preserved in good condition. Um, uh, when, we, when we took it, there was, no, there was no chance that it would be preserved. Um, and we actually, uh, we, we, we as I said, we had it cleaned. Let me tell you a little bit about it because it's so interesting and instructive. This is a Shiviti. It hung in front of the a prayer leader in front of the Chazan. Uh, what you have, you have the menorah on the center. The menorah is a focus of meditation. Uh, there's a psalm with 49 words that's written around the menorah uh, and Lam Latzeach, Beniginot Mizmor Shir. And that becomes a, a focal point for sort of Kabbalistic intentionality and unification. Above the menorah, you have a real uh, interesting chart. Uh, the name of God, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, spelled out. The letters are spelled out in, in different ways. The Hey and the Hey's and the Vav's can be spelled, spelled differently. And those different spellings yield a different power. And that power, 72, 63, 45, and, and uh, 52, um, those, that, those powers reflect different aspects of God's uh, uh, presence and that we can connect to uh, through our actions or our meditative abilities that we can activate. So there is a little bit of, of magic involved in Kabbalistic uh, thought and our capacity to have an impact. It's, you know, it's called, uh, called theurgy. We have an impact on the divine through our actions, through our meditations, through contemplating. In fact, here you have a great example. You see this sometimes in Sephardic in, in, in Sidurim from the Sephardic world, where the name of God, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, is intermingled with Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud. So that's a writing, that's a unification, because the different aspects of the divine, the masculine, the feminine, they're brought together in, in, in one, in, in, in wholeness. Right? Uh, on this particular Shiviti, there are, two, there are two interesting things I want to show you. First of all, in this corner, is the Hinani prayer that maybe most of you or many of you are familiar with from, the, uh, from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's the devotional prayer of the Chazan asking permission to lead the service from the community. And then a famous line that was introduced by Isaac Luria uh, to be recited before prayer. It's a most wonderful, wonderful uh, prayer. I'm praying to God. And the first thing I do is I say, I hereby dedicate myself and devote myself to fulfilling the mitzvah of loving my neighbor as myself. 
That's what it means to pray to God, to love my neighbor as myself. Wow. All right. So this is this is the Shiviti. Now, on the same wall, uh, um, let me show you a couple of other items briefly. I can't spend as much time on all items. This is a a Torah mantle uh, from. I'm sorry. This is a Torah mantle. Uh, oh, I'm, well, uh, what's the best way? Is it, yeah. This is a Torah mantle from uh, from Prague. Um, I think the date is 1757. Um, and uh, what you see here is a beautiful silk damask. The uh, Prague was a center of uh, of trade uh, in Europe. And um, as the Gemara says, the community used their most beautiful items to dress to dress the Torah. Um, they did so, they produced beautiful Torah mantles in, in, in Prague and also in Italy, in Italy as well. And this was an area in which women could demonstrate their devotion because they, the, they were the main designers. This is a Kalisberg uh, from, uh, from Morocco, a classic with the name of the, uh, of, the, of the owner of the bag, the owner of the, uh, of the Talis, Moshe HaKohen, and then followed by the two letters, Sat, Samachtet Svarditahor, a pure uh, person of Sephardic uh, background. Um, that, 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 this piece most probably uh, dates from the early 20th century. Right now, on this wall is something really interesting, uh, hanging on uh, near, the, near the rafters. This is called a wimple. I don't know how many of you know about a wimple. The wimple was, the wimple was used in Northern Europe, in Alsace, and in Germany, in Holland, you find them. And, and, and in Italy, different forms, but not like, not like these. Um, the wimple was actually made up of the swaddling cloth that was used to bring the child to the circumcision. And uh, after the circumcision ceremony, the cloth was, uh, was divided and sewn together in pieces, right? And then either uh, embroidered or painted with the name of the child, uh, which you see here, Yisachar Bereb Mordechai, I don't know if you can read this at all, Didesheim, Didesheim. So it was an Alsatian name, Didesheim. Nolad was born the Mazal Tov, Yom Gimel, Chaf Aleph Shvat, Taf Reish Chaf 1869. Okay. And then it continues Hashem, Yigadlehu, the Torah, the Chupa, the Maasim Tovim, the traditional greeting for the birth of a child. God shall raise him, he should be raised and dedicated to Torah study, to family, and to good deeds. Now, what, what was striking to us about this, although the colors are somewhat diminished, there are two things. One is that on the bottom portion are all the zodiac signs. So that's part of this expression of art, Kabbalah, magic, whatever you want to say. The zodiacs figured very prominently in design. You see it in early synagogues. I think some of you may know that from the synagogues, the, uh, the mosaics uh, in, in, in early uh, Israel, uh, fifth to seventh century uh, that, were un that are uncovered. So you do see elements of the zodiacs, that, and that's played a role throughout our history. You see it, in, I, I saw it in ceilings of synagogues in Europe. We, we don't, uh, you know, we, 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 we don't have that in our, in our experience, but it certainly was something that, that was part of people's consciousness. But to me, what was most interesting was this soldier up here. Does everybody see that soldier? See the soldier carrying the flag? It's a French flag. And I thought about this, what's it doing here? And then on top of good deeds, it shows the people sort of gathering discussions around tables. Was it the celebration of the bris? What was going on? And I, then I went back to the year, the year is 1869. The, the Franco-Prussian War, 1870, 1869, Alsatian Jews making a statement. We're French, we wanna stay with France. We don't want to be German. And they made their statement in a ritual object. So I, this is part of what I, I wanted to emphasize, which is cultural crossing. The boundaries in culture are porous. Influences of culture seep in, seep from one culture to the other. Very important. It's certainly true of religion as well, but we're, we're much, we're, we're so defended about our, about the purity of our religion and about the, 
the, the mistake, the mistaken nature of other religions uh, that where it's hard for us to admit that there are influences, but here it's well, contact produces some impact on your own, on your own culture. Um, I don't know if, if people have any questions up till now. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll take the questions later. Okay, so I have, we have a little arc. Um, uh, the uh, Isaiah Horowitz, who lived in the 16th century, um, was a rabbi in Prague and then in, in Jerusalem, uh, wrote a massive work. And in that work, he talked about the fact that you, if you have the opportunity, you should create a space, a spiritual space in your home. Uh, and he writes about people who have these huge homes. So he says, you know, maybe you should downsize to just have a large home, not a huge home. And in every home, take a room and, and designate that room. You know, people have workout rooms. Well, do they have prayer rooms? Do they have prayer space? So every day when, when I don't go to shul, which it hasn't been happening too much lately, um, I, I, this, is a, this is my davening space in this corner. And here's an ark with a little, it's a little Hasidic Torah um, that the Hasidic rabbis used to, used to have little Torahs written for them so they can travel with them all over. All right, now I wanna, I, I, I'm gonna say some more about birth in a moment and, and also before we leave the room and I, I need to look at the time to, ah, okay, we gotta move. All right, this is a, a, um, a, a Kisei Shele Eliyahu. Um, most of you, can, can everybody hear me? Hello, can everybody hear yes. me? Yes, we can. Yes, okay, okay, excellent. Okay, just wanna make sure. Kisei Shele Eliyahu, this was used at a Brit Milah. Um, we see here, on one side it says and here it says this is my covenant that you shall observe and guard now um, this is Alsatian uh, when we were in the museum in Strasbourg um, there was an exact um, chair of this sort so clearly it came from the similar workshop um, and it found its way fortunately our home. I mean, it was quite a quite a trip that this that this uh, uh, this Kisei Shelaliyahu took. Um, and uh, Ashkenazim have two seats. Sephardim, Eidot um, Hamizracha, Eastern Jews only have one seat for the Godfather. Uh, but what what happens on a Brit is that the the child is placed on the on a cushion. This is a, obviously a modern cushion uh, on to to um, and to the Eliyahu side uh, because we know that Eliyahu attends all Britot. And Eliyahu attends all the britot because he has to uh, atone for his sin of defaming the Jewish people. So his, uh, his fate is that he has to be present at every bris, brit milah. And then this is where the godfather would sit, or the sanda, the person holding the baby, would sit in the other uh, in, uh, adjacent uh, and hold the baby for the circumcision ceremony. Now, this is a Torah crown. Uh, it's not something we, that we usually, we, we weren't inclined to buy these large silver items, but this is a magnificent expression designed by a silversmith named Ludwig Volpert. Hopefully I'll be able to show you a few of his pieces. He was the founder of the workshop, the, the Judaica workshop at the Jewish Museum. He studied at the Bauhaus, he came to Palestine. He worked in, in the Betzalel workshop, and then he came to New York, to New York City. What he, what's, what's so indicative and so um, emblematic of his work are, is his lettering. His lettering is, mag is magnificent. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I realize I can't spend as much time as I would like on all these items. I just want you to see what he did here with this Torah crown is around the circle around the edge uh, represents each one of these uh, sort of leaves, leaves uh, it depicts the, so the symbol of a, of a different tribe. So there are 12, 12 of them, the 12 tribes of Israel, all brought together in the Torah itself. So there's a sense of unification in, in, this, in this beautiful object. This is a Moroccan, a Moroccan Hanukkiah, all right, in typical, typical Moroccan style. Um, as we move along, excuse me. Again, I'm sorry, I can't comment on everything, but I did want to say a word about amulets. Okay, here we are. Can you see? Okay, here we are. Let me see that. Ah, this will come. All right. So this, this is a birth amulet. Well, first let's look at this. This is a very famous amulet. Um, this is from actually from the 18th century, and it depicts Adam and Eve um, at the tree. 
and uh, the, the, what's written on it is Adam v'chava, Adam and Eve, chutz lilith, away with lilith. So this amulet would have been hung over the crib of a newborn baby, a newborn boy. And um, the, it is a protective amulet to keep the dangerous demoness Lilith away from the child because she is dangerous and she can harm the newborn who is vulnerable. Now, in addition to harming the newborn, we have also a, uh, a, a, a different type of amulet. This amulet was rolled up and worn around the neck of a woman who is with child, carrying a child. And this is a protective amulet, also to protect against the demoness Lilith, who's depicted here with the three angels above, Sinoi, Sin uh, Sinoi, and Semengalith, whose very presence or mention um, is a protection against, against Lilith, as we learn in some nine, in basically some ninth century texts, but it dates back there's there Talmudic references, and there's one reference to Lilim, to demons in Isaiah. So we know this has deep Babylonian roots, the idea of a sort of a, 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 an active demoness who attacks children. Some of you are familiar with a story about, about Lilith uh, refusing to be recumbent to Adam, and, and, and sort of she is the, uh, again, the embodiment of the independent woman. And, the consequence of this independence is destruction. So this is not a good, it's not a good story. But Jewish feminists have redeemed Lilith. In other words, instead of focusing on the negative, what they've done is they've transformed and transvalued Lilith into a symbol for a, a, a constructive response and independence that has given that has become an inspirational symbol to the new generation of women. And this is this type of amulet is interesting to me because it's like an encyclopedia of all the favorites. Uh, I mean, I, I can't spend all the time uh, decoding it for you. Shema Yisrael is on it. Anything, anything that could be protected is included in, in this amulet, including, um, I, I think, some sabers here, right? Uh, the, I don't know if I'm, uh, yeah, they, 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 they attack Lilith. Uh, they can be used to defend against her. Okay, uh, we're moving on. I'm sorry if I've missed anything here. Ah, something, an interesting object. This is a ketubah. Now, you're not accustomed to seeing a ketubah this way. This is from Tehran from the 20th century. What's interesting about this form of ketubah, it's a booklet. It's a booklet with about six pages. And we know that Muslims used to write their marriage contracts in these little booklets. Another example of cultural borrowing. We designed the ketubah in the same way that our neighbors did and with the same sort of artistic expression. Uh, I have a, I do have a, a, a other ketubot from, from Iran, but I'm sorry that we don't have time to, to, see them, to see them all. In this room, I think what's significant and what you need to see is the, is the talus, okay? So this is an Italian talit. The talit is dated to 1725. Uh, we think that it comes from the Montefiore family. I'm not sure how clear the photo is, but uh, that you see, but what's important is the embroidery. If you can look at how rich the embroidery is, usually we keep this covered because as you can see that when we got it, it was already faded, but the, there's embroidery all over on the white section here, on, 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 certainly on the, on the blue, you can see it. And it's just a beautiful, it's embroidered with flowers, floral decorations. And this is a, a, a uniquely Italian mode uh, of devotion. And I must say that over the years, we've become admirers um, of it, the Italian aesthetic and how it's, uh, how it's influenced, how it was integrated into Jewish life. And it also reflects the fact that the Italian Jewish community was open literarily and artistically to their surrounding culture. Even though it was a Catholic culture, there was a very creative engagement with the, with the surrounding culture. So that's one of the items. This is, uh, amidst the forest here uh, is a Yemenite um, women's uh, head covering with some of the jewelry that might be used at a wedding. This jewelry, these items were shared. Jews and, and Muslims used similar items. I don't know if they were, I don't know if they were literally shared, but the forms, the forms were shared. Uh, and and, and the, this, this type of um, veil 
uh, is a, a reflective of, of the Yemeni culture itself. And this also uh, is a groom's coat from the, the, the Nate, from Tbilisi, from the Pinchaso family, from Georgia. Um, and the groom would appear in this beautifully decorated coat uh, under the chuppah um, at the wedding. Uh, what, okay, we still, we do have a few, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on for five more minutes and then we'll take some questions. Um, this is a ketubah from Bologna from the 19th century, about 1840. You can see here what are, uh, the pomegranates, beautiful pomegranates, right? Full, filled with uh, abundance as a, blessing for, as a blessing for fertility. This, by the way, is an Italian amulet uh, that would be hung over a crib. There are a number of those. All right, we'll move into the room uh, just to see a few items of silver. Um, this is a Seder plate. It was made by Boaz Yemini. Boaz Yemini is one of three generations of Yemenite artists who worked at Bitsaleh. Um, and as you can see, the Seder plate uniquely uh, printed, in, uh, or he, what he did was he engraved uh, the, um, the, 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 the words, the names of the items on the Seder plate in Rashi script, which is wonderful. And, and, and the, the, le the leaves giving uh, expression, you know, the, even the cutout to, the, to nature. Nature itself is integrated into the Seder, into the spring reflected in the Seder plate that we use. Um, just as a, as a, uh, a very sort of interesting uh, curiosity uh, item, this is a matzo rattler. A matzo rattler, uh, uh, and it's, it's actually made out of ivory, but it does say on the handle, Pesach matzo umaror, it's Italian, and it would be used to, um, to, uh, what is, to rolled, rolled the, the grooves into the matzah itself. So this is the groover, you know, that, that's, that would be used for that purpose. Um, all right, let me say a few words about some items of silver, and because I want you to know the names of the, of the artists. So all of these items were made by someone named Oded Davidson, who has a Jerusalem workshop. He's still working um, in, that, in that workshop. And these are things that he's produced over the years. He obviously has produced many more. This is a tzedakah box. It's a magnificent tzedakah box because it tells the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Jonah is thrown overboard. Uh, you can see the figure of Jonah. Here's the, here the, the whale is where the tzedakah uh, is, is inserted. Um, the declarations here are teshuvah, tefillah, tzedakah, uh, repentance, prayer, and, and tzedakah. Uh, they remove the evil decree. Um, and around the base of the tzedakah box is the whole story of Jonah. On each side is another aspect of the story of Nineveh, etc. It's so whimsical and wonderful. And just, just to see what type of an artist he is, this is a, these are his Havdalah, some of the, you know, one expression of his Havdalah items. This is a, 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 this little box here. It's, it's a theater. It's the spice, the spice box. What a wonderful idea. Havdalah is theater. This is um, the uh, candle holder with the three, the three stars and the, people standing outside and the greeting the, the new week. And uh, these were sort of special commission that Doreen ordered for me for my 40th birthday, I think it was. I don't remember that far back, but these are my uh, the tefillin boxes um, that, that I actually, I use them. I, I had to use some different covers today, but it's there. there's a dedication here to the family. It, 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 it makes, for the tefillin are, are items that are, as close to me almost as anyone, because I wear them every single day. Uh, and the idea that these tefillin are sort of beautified with these covers, uh, it, it indicates something of a special significance. And also the fact that there is this dedication is also uh, its transmissibility to, uh, from generation to generation. That's really important in the terms of some of these ritual items. I have my father's items. And we can pass them down. That's a that's a connection. It's a very deep connection. I I I, I see that I, I need to, I must go through this more, more quickly just so that you see, and then uh, I'll take some questions. Um, I mentioned the gallery of Moriah. This is an item that was produced by the gallery owner of Peter Ehrenthal. It's a grager. On one side, it depicts Mordechai uh, Haman leading Mordechai on the horse. On the other side, Haman hanging 
uh, hanging on uh, on on the tree, right? Uh, and uh, and the serpent, and it and it actually works. Uh, this is a this here is a traveling Hanukkah menorah, uh, and um, it, 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 we use it for oil and wicks. I'm not going to open it all up to you. And I wanted you to see some of Wolpert's other work. This is Wolpert's um, uh, Eliyahu cup. There's a story related to that too, but I don't have time to tell you that. Uh, and this is this is Wolpert's um, um, bread plate, challah plate. Um, the, the plate has inscribed. Mazon vitseida has deal food and sustenance. Uh, you've um, you, you, you have uh, uh, fulfilled us uh, uh, and um, our souls. And there's a wooden. Can you still see Walpert's uh, challah plate? And you see the wooden board that comes out. And then finally, what I want to show you among the silver. This is made by Oded. This is the way Oded's thinking. This is a cup, a hand washing cup with, with hands uh, that, uh, that you hold on to and uh, lift up your hands in holiness uh, to wash before eating the meal. Last things that I'm gonna show you. All right, uh, just a few items. This piece here, it looks like it's blank. Um, this is a tachina, it's a petition. We light it every Friday before candles. It's a woman's petition in Yiddish. It was written by Sarah Batuvim. She was the most famous of the writers of women's prayers. And in this particular prayer, the woman is compared to the high priest in the temple who lights the menorah. That's why you have a seven branch menorah. That's the temple menorah with two Shabbos candles uh, 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 raised from the, from the, from the menorah. Uh, and uh, we, we have it lit all Shabbos for us and, all, and the rest of the week it remains the remains are a couple of ketubot. This is a ketubah from Maine Kona uh, in, early, in the early 19th century. What's interesting about this ketubah, the woman who was married, her name was Victoria, and the ketubah artist depicted victory, victory without clothing. So the, rabbi didn't, the rabbis didn't hesitate to accept the ketubah, even with this form of artistry. And when we talk about cultural exchange, the, the impact of the surrounding culture so that victory was depicted as an image on a, on a, on a basically a religious document. This ketubah here in this corner, this ketubah uh, is Moroccan, um, uh, early 20th century, written by a famous scribe named David El Kayam, who actually stamped his name uh, on, on the ketubah. And I'm sorry, I'm getting another call, uh, one second, just got rid of it. Um, and um, and what, what I want to mention about this too, but Al-Kayam included a clause that we don't have in most of our Ketubot, in almost all. And that is that if the man wants to move to a different city, he first needs the permission of his wife. Now this particular man was so enchanted with his wife um, that, uh, and, and we have this in, in this writing that's, not legible, but we know what it says, that he added a clause to the ketubah, including the increasing the amount of the ketubah as an expression of his love. So you see the creative nature of these objects. They're not, even though the text may be fixed, it can still be enhanced, it can still be enlarged, it can still express something personal. That's what we need to preserve. The idea that we perform the rituals, it's, these are the same rituals that have been performed for centuries, but we add our own touch to it. We make them into our own. Uh, I'm out of breath, and uh, I think I think maybe I'll stop here. If I have some time, I'll do. Uh, I'll, I'll say some more. Um, we do have a few minutes for questions. So anybody who has a question, please. I have a question. Please, yes. <laughs> Hello, What's your name? Alicia Magal. You may remember me. Ah, I know you, Alicia. I, yes, I, 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 I was for seven years the museum educator at the Skirball Museum before it moved up the hill when it was still at HUC downtown. And I'm so delighted not only to see you and hear you and see your collection, but to be reminded of what we used to call at the museum adaptation retention. So the Jews, as you beautifully said, adapted from the cultures in which they, they found themselves, the styles, the ornamentation, the colors, 
the architecture and also retained. So adaptation retention retained the, the ritual and the form like the ketubah, the language is the same, but the format is so different. And yes. the it's silver and everything that you've shown just really reminds me of those, those many years that I trained docents to lead groups through the museum and the prototypes that I helped create uh, back in the 80s and early 90s before um, the big skirt ball was built. So uh, hello to you and Kola Kavod, Thank beautiful you. presentation. Thank you for your, for your comment. Now, I, this reminded me, this ketubah is Italian. Now, what do you see about this ketubah? The colors in the ketubah are the colors of the, of the Italian flag. Again, the, the ketubah artists um, identified as an Italian, and so did the couple, and they wanted to express that in the artistry of their marriage contract. I think, that, I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. Uh, this, by the way, just so that you have a sense, this is, this is David Moss's creativity. If you look at it, it looks like a bunch of Chinese letters. But if you look at it from the side, if you read it from the side, it says, Chacham, Rasha, Tam, and Shin Yud Lamed, Shein All right, so that's, that's typical Moss uh, ingenuity, ingenuity, creative ingenuity. Any other questions? I don't know if you want to see me or you want to see some more items. You know what? If there are no more questions, and if I, and I have a couple minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some books, all right? Because you should see something um, that, that I think is, is relevant. And, and most important, maybe, is Morse's, they have an idea of Morse's Haggadah. Um, oh. You should know about this. So Morse's Haggadah is available. It's, it's a, a, a commercial copy is available to this day from Beit Alpha. If you need information, contact Shmuley and I'll send you the information. And I think it, you can get them somewhere between 125 and 200. It depends on, on which example you, you choose. I'm not sure any longer. Now, these but are this, replicas. Well, those are, yes, they're facsimiles. Now, yeah, okay. But they're, they're mass-produced facsimiles. Understood. Printed. This, this is a facsimile that was artistically, artistically reproduced. Um, uh, so that, um, you know, th there was a lot of care for the paper, for the design, for the gold leaf, and also for the cuts. I want to show you just a few pages to see what a creative artist does. So this is the title page of Morse's Haggadah. The title page is made like the cover of a picture album, right? With the, the, those corners in which you used to um, insert the photo. Now, what, what, is, what has he done? The centerpiece is a tree of life with 10 branches. The 10 branches, 10 spherot, 10 uh, expressions, 10 emanations uh, em uh, that, that connect us to the divine. Now, the 10 spherot as presented here also have a lot of pomegranates hanging from them. The pomegranates are symbols of mitzvot and of uh, the abundance of opportunities uh, to praise God. But what he's done with the tree is he's, uh, he's um, designed it in such a way that it has seven upper branches, seven branches reaching upwards, and three branches that are the base. Ah! Go in closer. Could you go in closer for that? Yeah. 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 And up so the three there. branches. So this is the temple menorah, three branch base, seven branch menorah, what has he given us? He's told us and taught us something. The menorah is a stylized tree and nature itself mm. is transformed into an abstract idea. That's part of, that's part of the sort of the, the Judaic polemic that uh, against nature worship itself, but nature is preserved implicitly. And we, it's up to us to recover the dimension of nature that may have been lost from our religious life. Now, what's fascinating about what he's done here that I think is hard for you to, to see is that around the edges of the page, in micrography, which is microscopic writing, he's written the text of the entire Haggadah. Wow. wow. It's, the text wow. Of the, it's the text of the earliest, it's the earliest wow. Haggadah that we have from the, from, uh, yes, from the Geniza, and it's short. It's shorter than our Haggadah, but it's yeah. the whole Haggadah. Why? Why? Because when you have the germ of an idea, it's all contained in that kernel. The kernel contains already the outcome. 
we say it on Friday night in the Chadodi, Sof Ma'aseh V'machshavat Chilah. The end of the action was in God's thinking to begin with. Shabbos was part, was the purpose of creation itself. And here, so the idea is right here at the beginning. Title page contains the whole thing. It's wonderful. All right, I can only show you a few pages here. So I will choose some of my favorites. Um, excuse me. Can you show the mirror? That's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. The mirror. So this is So we have here mirrors and the mirrors are inserted in between uh, humans who are presented in their period costume, men and women. So you see yourself reflected in every generation. Wow. You are part of every generation. Finally, what I'm going to show you is uh, this oh, as I don't, um, Psalm 114. Now, Psalm 114, he's drawn 600 figures so corresponding to 600,000 Israelites who were redeemed from Egypt. Now, he's drawn the figures on musical staff. There's a musical staff. You can, feel the, you, can, you can feel the lines. There are lines drawn across the page. Each figure is a note in a Hasidic tune for Psalm 114. So they actually, you know, the song Whistle While You Work, <laughs> the, the people are singing as the, 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 literally, they embody the song as they sing. So this is just a taste of, 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 of Moss's, Moss's crea- creative genius um, that, I wanted, that I wanted to give you. Um, and the only other book that I'll show you is, uh, the fo- is this. This is, a, this is a one volume of the first edition of the Talmud that was printed by Daniel Bomberg in Venice in 1520. What's important about Bomberg's Talmud is uh, the following, are the following. Number one, the typeface. This is a typeface that he banged out, right? They, they created this typeface. It's a beautiful typeface. And for centuries after Bomberg closed his printing press, the type was used again in Amsterdam. It was used in all the best presses. And some of the books that you can, on them, you can see it says, even though printed 100 years or 200 years later, says Otiot Bamberg with Bamberg's letters. Now, the most important thing that he did was he and his, he wasn't Jewish. He and his rabbinic printer who worked with him to set, set the text, they fixed and standardized the Talmudic page. So after Bamberg, anyone who studied Talmud knew that tractate Shabbat page 115a they can look up such and such a passage because in every Talmud that was printed, this page 115a was the same, with the same design and the same structure. So Bomberg is responsible for the standardization of our Talmud to be continued in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Rav Chaim, for opening up your home and your Judaica. Um, I, I, I see one last question here. What was the, from Lauren Blatt, what was the name of the Haggadah and what was the date? She asked. The Haggadah I just showed them? Lauren, you want to clarify? Yeah, the Haggadah that you just showed. I didn't yes. know the name of it, it's where it Mos, was from, or it's, the date. It's, it's the Moss Haggadah, M-O-S-S. Yes, in Hebrew, we called it Shir HaMa'alot David, the Song of Ascent for David. And it was, I think, he completed it in 1988, but you might, if you if you want to get in touch with Beit Alpha, uh, you can look it up on the on on their website B E I T A L P H A, or B E T. I'm not sure. Uh, it could either be B E T or B E I T. There's an office in San Francisco. He lives in Israel, but he so maintains much, an office in Berkeley. So much great stuff here, Rav Chaim, uh, uh, on on Jewish history and Jewish art and Jewish philosophy and the diversity. Of, of Jewish culture, and the reminder that Judaism doesn't encounter external cultures, we exist within them. We exist within them, we, we, we don't just encounter them and, uh, and, and to see thank the richness you. of that engagement. So thank you so much for, for this gift today and wishing everyone good health and strength today. And I uh, hope you'll join us every day for Jewish learning, but especially tomorrow, we have a session with Rabbi Adina Lewitz on requiring Brit Mikvah for female trans converts. So, um, uh, very good. Yeah, good, good. All right, something very new. So, we hope you're very helpful. Listen, 
thank you all and stay well and take care of yourselves and stay thank well. Thank you most so much. Yeah. And Lauren Cohen Fisher, tomorrow early Zionist approaches to the existing Arab population. Very interesting. And Rabbi Avi Strasberg next week from flood to rainbow. Have a great day. Thank you all so much. Shalom, shalom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.